HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Greg Blaze, and with me today on the phones to continue our discussions with cheese distributors are two ladies who have been providing myself and mongers across America with wonderful imported and domestic cheeses for as long as the world can remember. Those two gals are uh, my friends Stephanie Ciano and Shelley Morton of Crystal Food Imports in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you today, gals? Great, Greg. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing all right. Good. Hello. I'm doing all right. Shelly, I finally got you. How are you today? Yeah, great. I'm doing <laughs> good. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. It's good to have you both. Thanks. You know, it's, um, it's a super busy time, uh, and we've all made it through the first leg of our holiday-like sort of madness. Uh, no major casualties through Thanksgiving, and I say that because... All three of us are still here on the phone together, so that means yep. we're all we're all still employed and we're all still you know breathing, uh, pushing our way to the end of the year, and um, yeah. and that's a good thing. And um, you know, you guys are just coming to the sort of the end of your, not the end, but maybe uh, a little. You're in you're in the height of your crunch time as far as getting orders and things like that together right now, right? Absolutely, yep. It's very busy. Well, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time. Um, I'm also a little crushed, but for a different reason. We had this insane event at uh, Italy where I work last night where they brought in the uh, the symphony orchestra from Torino and opened the store back up at 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. And, uh, you know, they had them play live um, the William Tell Overture for about 600 guests and we're handing out cheese to people left and right and at one point, it just got uh, it just got pretty nuts. I think I got home at about two a.m. So, I'm right there with you, but um, but I'm happy to uh, to have you both on the phone. Um, so 
This is an interesting time and a good time to kick up our discussion. Last week uh, we talked with um, with Deborah Dickerson and uh, and Adam Moskowitz of uh, of Larkin, and um, we were just touching on some some good stuff in in terms of like the business uh, that that people don't necessarily get to see or cheesemongers don't necessarily get to see. You know, you have a, a very litigious society right now and. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the in the cheese world um, and in the world in general, but we sort of soldier on. And um, I really wanted to talk to you two ladies because you have interesting perspective because you've been both working for a company that I've been doing business with for, I mean, for goodness, for as long as I've been selling cheese. And that's, uh, and that's Crystal Foods. And um, you are both a part, you both, you both came up together. You've worked together for a long time, correct? Correct. Yeah, Shelley had been working with my father um, since 1978, um, believe it or not. And, you know, I got in the business in 1995. Shelley, there there was cheese in 1978, Shelley? What the heck's going on here? (laughs) Yes, 79. I know, I usually don't tell people like child labor (laughs) people that. How old were you, Stephanie? Like four? You were talking about stone tablets with Deborah. What does that make me? You're you're talking cave, maybe cave drawings, wall cave drawings. Yeah, right. It predates those stone tablets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. It was good. It was good, clean fun. And it still is in a way. I I really um I wanted to talk to um to you initially, Stephanie, because Crystal Foods is an interesting company that has changed a little bit over the years, but something. Um, a company that has like absolutely provided people all over America with some of the best imported cheeses um, that I've ever sold in any counter that I've ever worked at. And um, for those of us who don't who have, don't know or don't know where some of their good cheese comes from, uh, if those people are out there even, um, and I hope they aren't, I was hoping maybe you could give us a little bit of a history of Crystal Foods. Um, sure. Um, my father had started the company in 1969. And he initially was selling meat and cheese, and he had customer requests. Um, you know, he actually had a shop in Faneuil Hall and was one of the original purveyors there. Um, and his um, wholesale business ended up, uh, you know, growing. And he had some requests for cheese, and he was really one of the first importers of European cheeses into the United States. And he discovered that it was a whole untapped market, um, and he really moved um, towards the cheese and away from the meat products that he was dealing with. And, you know, the cheese just kind of took off because there was nothing like it in the United States. And it was before all the regulations that we're seeing now. You know, at at that time, um, you could bring in raw milk cheese without any age specification, and you could, you know, it's kind of a um, whole world was our oyster as far as importing was concerned, Uh, so he could bring in all kinds of cool stuff. Um, You know, even though the American market wasn't used to it at that point, um, where at that time, Havarti was specialty, uh, you know, nobody had really had... The Dill Havarti? uh, And, you know, (laughs) it was a whole different animal at that point. Yeah. What uh, what um, countries did he did he go to first? And and Stephanie's dad's name is John Ciano. For those of uh, for those of you who who don't know who he is, and he's a guy who I I dealt I dealt with when I was living in uh, in Boston, and I'm a New Englander too because everybody already knows that. Cause I said every time I'm on the air. Um, but um, what what countries did he use first? Um, initially, he was working with Holland, Austria, Italy, and France, um, and I think England as well. Um, also Denmark. 
you know, was, um, more basic cheeses initially, um, but then it really branched out from there. You know, as p- other um, people came into the marketplace, he really sought to, you know, have something different. So that was always our goal to, you know, kind of self-evaluate and look at what we're doing and then try to do better. Um, you know, and when you'd hit one roadblock or regulations would change, you know, where you could no longer bring in raw milk or you could no longer bring in a certain thing, you know, we would try to evolve with the market and, you know, keep within the regulations, but always trying to stay one step ahead. Well, definitely you guys have done that in terms of quality. Shelly, when did you come on board to Crystal Foods? I came on um, when I first moved to Boston. I had lived in New York and worked in a um, specialty store there for a short period and then traveled a little in Europe. And the week I landed in Boston, I remember it was very random. I was looking for a job, and I saw this little ad in a newspaper. In the um, Globe? There was no Craigslist then. <laughs> right. Yeah, probably. Uh, uh, and, yeah, what else would it have been, right? classified ad? And, um, I was, like, sitting at my little counter in my cafe in Somerville, and uh, it said, some knowledge of cheese, some <laughs> knowledge of French required. And I had just been to France, and I had just worked at on this counter in New York City where, like, exotic cheese was Port Salut and stabilized brie and things like that. And I thought, oh, my God, this ad is speaking to me. This is my job. And so I went and met John, and he basically was wonderful. He, as long as I could sell it, he kind of gave me free reign to do whatever I liked. That sounds um, good. He job. had in place, at that time, I think he had some kind of a Borsan contract. So he was flying in weekly containers from France, from Rangis. And I would basically get a book and think, well, if we're doing this, why can't we do this? We've never had camembert in America that tasted like it did when I was in France. Let's try it. And it kind of exploded from there. And as long as we could sell it, and, you know, we very much got started with the pre-order system because nobody wants all that real good perishable stuff sitting in your warehouse. So we started with that. And as long as we could sell it, you know, we could move it. And it wasn't really just exclusively cheese. We were bringing in um, butters and really interesting yogurts. And um, at one point we were doing, remember, we were doing a big, you know, bad water and all kinds of really cool And you guys did this. And then, Steph, when did you come on board? When did you start working for your dad? In 1995, I started in the company, you know, kind of fresh out of college, uh, ready to roll. <laughs> it's interesting. Last um, last week when I was talking to Adam a little bit and he talked about the influence, just a touch of that his dad had over um, over him and, the, and how he stepped into that business. Did your father inspire you in that same way to stay um, in the business? He did. I think I kind of caught him by surprise coming into the industry, you know, when he had asked me on graduation, what did I want to do? You know, I said, I, you know, I wanted to come into the business and, you know, he was excited. And I think, you know, the two of us paired well off of each other that we have different strengths. And, you know, I kind of drove the excitement that he had renewed energy for the business. Um, you know, once I had joined the company um, and we brought different skill sets to the table, you know, so it's worked very well. You know, I think he, definitely inspires me and, and likewise. And you guys, uh, both of you guys are the, are the longest tenured uh, employees, right? I mean, you, you're, you're some of the 
of the old guard, and you're still with uh, still doing the same thing for the same people. Absolutely, yep. And that's um, and yeah. that's despite um, despite the fact that you guys uh, you guys are part of a larger company now, right? And then you're working. We are, yes. With, the with, company was World bought Best in 2010 by World's Best Cheeses. And it's interesting. Um, I was wondering maybe if you could expound on how has that changed the way you've done business at all. Um, it has a little bit. I think it's given us a little bit um, further reach, I guess, as far as purchasing power that, you know, the number of containers that we have coming in weekly from each um, country has increased, and it's allowed me to um, increase the programs that we do. Um, you know, we still have the autonomy as far as um, bringing new items in and um, you know, kind of setting setting our bar um, on specialty cheese that I'm making the decisions for the company on that. Um, you know, but World's Best had traditionally been doing um, more basic products, and, um, you know, we kind of brought to the table the higher-end line with Crystal Food Imports. You know, it's, it's really all one company now. We still use the Crystal Foods for the Boston office, um, but it's all together at this point. That's pretty cool. I, I mean, and it's and it sounds like you get a, a really good logistics boost from them. And one of the things that I've noticed as uh, as I go along is that it's um, it's a little bit tougher to do business. There are a lot more pieces of paper to file. There's a lot more uh, gatekeepers. There's a lot more roadblocks that you um, that you have to and hoops that you have to jump through. So has it been helpful to you to have that larger structure around you as opposed to working, you know, just uh, with you guys? I mean, it is it is helpful in some regards. You know, I can say from the buying standpoint, you know, they have somebody helping me now doing licensing out and sale and transits and some of the more busy work type stuff. Um, so it gives me a little bit more time to address the orders and the product selection. Um, you know, but it's, you know, as every business evolves, you know, there's additional steps. And, uh, you know, the FDA has been keeping us on our toes these days. <laughs> have they? As far as getting everything in. <laughs> but have you been successful? Have you found that you, you're able absolutely. to get in what you need? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that you really need to keep on top of the regulations. And, you know, when um, you find that new things are coming up, you need to jump um, and react quickly, um, that you've got all the you know, your ducks in a row as far as the paperwork that's needed and the labeling requirements. Um, you know, it's, you know things change so rapidly right now, you know, where you'll have items that you've been bringing in for for 20-plus years, you know, like Tome de Savoie, um, you know, that's a raw milk cheese aged over 60 days, you know, but suddenly that's banned, um, you know, because it doesn't meet the FDA's requirements for the E. coli. And is that producer-to-producer specific for you, or is that just a... Um, In general, it gets stopped, but, um, you know, we do have a couple um, producers that can still meet the the requirements for the FDA, but it's something where a lot of the European vendors are hesitant because of the new enforced regulations, Um, so they don't want to risk having their brand come in and potentially get stopped. Um, you know, if there's anything that's kind of borderline, they end up stop. They decide that they don't want to work with the U.S. market um, because it jeopardizes their entire business um, in the U.S. If they have a product that gets, um, you know, puts them on the blacklist. And have you lost a number of producers that way? Um, many producers. I mean, you can see that right now with with Roquefort is a very good example of that. 
um, where you have you know multiple producers that are on the the um, bland list and that they're you know they keep working you know the big guys have the money to get the testing done um, you know so you'll get Society B coming in and they test each batch of, of product and to be able to get it FDA cleared and you know they're lobbying to get the product released um, you know but it's tougher for the smaller producers to be able to afford that testing. Hey, Shell, do you feel that like the, that the average monger or the average um, a, a retailer is aware of the things that, she, that Stephanie's talking about right now? Um, it depends. There's a lot of really knowledgeable, intelligent mongers out there. You, you know, you get certain people that just don't care. They want what they want. But um, most people, I would say, really do want to know what the story is and what's going on in a pretty open and understanding because as I understand it, you know, you guys, you, you're the you're, you're the, the person who deals with a lot of the customers on the phone, right? I mean, you're 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 talking to us. You're gonna deal with people like me, you know, asking you for all kinds of crazy mm-hmm. stuff. But um, you helped um, you actually helped to educate the the mongers. You you took part in um, in uh, creating the the CCP, correct? You were um, you were putting questions together for um, the CCP exam. Yeah, mm-hmm. when that first started. You know, anything that could help professionalize and, you know, get mongers more money is a good thing. But you also, you loved the freewheeling uh, back in the days, like uh, bringing your <laughs> cheese book in, just saying, hey, I want to grab all this stuff from, from northern France. Can we get in these camembert? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always a, That's a, a fun thrill in yeah. finding something and sharing it with everyone and, you know, having people love it and want it. That's just feels really good. But that's still out there for you, right? I mean, you still you still find Definitely. new ways. And Stephanie and I always worked well in that in that regard. We always kind of had similar vision for food and she's real good at doing all the paperwork and the logistical stuff. So, yeah. That that still exists. I mean, a little you know, it's a little more difficult now. People are a little more cautious. You know, hey, there's exciting things going on in the cheese world beyond what we know now. I was just reading an amazing article about cheese production in India. You know, there's there's such excitement out there. Are you going to bring in some cheese from India? Well, that would be a little challenging, but, you know, I, I think we should know about all these never, things. Never these things never. that draw us all together. What would the That's cold nice. chain be like from, like, um, Delhi, New York, from, like, Delhi to Boston? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was like, pumped up. We got a season from Sweden, the cold um, chain. Eagle, that I was very excited to get that. And, you know, it's a small producer, and it's, you know, a region that people typically don't know much about the cheeses from that area. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, because, you know, there's so much attention focused, and there has been, I think, for maybe almost 10 years on France and sometimes Switzerland as potentially, you know, red flag markets for the FDA. I would be be sort of correct in saying that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to go outside the box. And Are you discovering that there's good cheese in places like Scandinavia and things like that, like stuff that you didn't know was there before? Absolutely, absolutely. I think Sweden, you know, Norway, Germany, you know, there's a lot of cheeses that are out there. Austria. You know, that it's, you know, just a matter of time as far as the logistics are concerned. You know, getting it, um, you know, is finding a path that's effective, you know, whether it's air freight or ocean freight that suits the cheese best. Um, 
you know, but it's always it's great to learn weird. your geography through cheese, whether it's American <laughs> or international. It's the best. No, it's awesome. I mean, for for me because I buy I buy cheese through you, and uh, it's nice because the world does gotten. I bought a little bit of Swedish cheese from you, and it was really interesting. It's very odd stuff. It was like gamey and uh, and 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 mm. potent, you know. Um, and I feel like a lot of those recipes probably came from Switzerland or or the Alps or something like that, or or that was a style that looked like to me. I don't know, but it just yeah. speculatively uh, it seemed like that. But the world, even though the world the worlds get smaller with uh, with our logistics, but it gets a little bit bigger um, in terms of when we're forced to go away from the things that we have been doing for so long, and um, which also makes it exciting for me. Um, to buy new stuff from new places. Well, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm going to continue my discussion with Shelly and Stephanie. We'll be right back. You are listening to Signal Dub by Evan Hashi. The dairy farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Posting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. What's up, guys? And we're back on Cutting the Curd. I'm here with Shelley Morton and Stephanie Ciano of Crystal Foods. I trust you're both still with me? Yes. Here. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so last, uh, last week, um, we asked um, both um, Adam and, and Deb um, a question that I wanted to ask you guys um, because I always find it important, and when I'm talking to distributors as a, as a retailer or and a cheesemonger, uh, one of the things that like that cheesemongers, and especially that I that I value, are my personal relationships. And, uh, and I love my relationships with my distributors, but I also love my relationships with the producers. And I really love as a 
a person who's a frontliner uh, that I can actually go to the places where cheeses are made and purchase things that come directly from the farm. And I was wondering, you know, I, but I also understand, and, and it was an interesting discussion, and I believe uh, that you have to respect the distribution process. Um, and uh, there are certain things where you, you, you have to get through distributors, even if you don't want to, you know. But I was wondering if you could, and I don't know if it's that you don't want to, but I was wondering if you could expound on what you feel the direct relationship um, between cheesemongers and the producers, if that affects the distributors at all. Staff, what do you think? I mean, I definitely do think it does affect the distributors, and you know, I guess I have sort of um, mixed feelings about it. I, you know, as a distributor, you know, our, you know, kind of the um, benefit of having a distributor is that you can, you know, they can get the larger orders in bringing the cost of the logistics down and getting the deliveries on refrigerated trucks to the right to the store when you want it rather than needing to buy any particular size of an order and risking temperature um, cold chain you know issues and quality issues that you could ensue if you're using FedEx or UPS or something like that um, you know, but I do think it's important for, you know, the retailers also to, um, you know, have a close relationship in knowing the product and being able to reach out to cheesemakers, you know, if they feel it's necessary, trying to get the product information um, and understanding the cheese better, you know, and I do think that there is, um, you know, a different level of understanding of the product in um, some some distributors um, more than others or even within a company. Um, so it's always nice when you're working with somebody that's knowledgeable in the product and can really share information. You know, so. It's more, for me, it's more of a, of a possessive or territorial thing, you know? I mean, I, I like to feel like, like, it, like those, those things go both ways, you know? I, I don't think you should buy from the distributor. I mean, buy from the, from the producer for, just for the sake of doing it. Sometimes those relationships predate um, the distribution chain. Um, I, know, I know what you're saying. I just, I did, I just didn't know. I don't know. I, I, I tend – I always want someone to drive my products to me because yeah, it's – Yeah, <laughs> I mean sometimes I think the – I guess the notion um, – is that you're you know you're potentially getting a better price and you have more of a direct chain? Oh, I, think. I also think that distributors yeah. come into play sometimes when producers get a little bigger, and um, you know, like in the beginning when they don't have a lot of cheese yeah. to distribute, they go directly to a store. So I think that retailers sometimes don't like distributors in that case because they think that they're replacing something that was better. And, you know, that may be the case, but it's just something that also could be a, nat a natural progression. Well, see, that's exactly how I think of it. I mean, I always feel like like um, sometimes the, the distributor works um, in a – and. Because I've done both, the distributors in there in an office a lot of the times, and your interface is sometimes less with the cheese than it is with with a, a computer or a telephone. And um, I always 
thought that sometimes you know that the retailer's real job is to go out and forage and find the things you know and get the, mm-hmm. the get the to get the producer comfortable to sell you things and then you turn them over to the distributor when it becomes cumbersome for for the retailer or in a perfect world i feel like that's how it it should work along with the distributor bringing you things but i think that the, the a lot of people tend to to blindly uh, the, the the relationship between um, distributor and retailer becomes this one of of necessity where you, if you want new things, you have to wait for the distributor to tell you what's out there, you know, and what mm-hmm. they can get. And rather than you just pick up the phone and call some people you know or take a drive or take a trip and go visit a farm or get on an airplane and fly and visit someplace. And, but that's but that's just – that's me and I know that people don't have a lot of the means to do that. But that's how I – Shelley, that's how I die directly. I look at it and the thing is if you're a retailer and you – you say I found this, or or there's a farm that just started, and and you do you want to work with them? You're also giving the distributor a chance to sell that cheese anywhere else, um, which right. I, which I think is good. And then everybody gets them to meet. So I feel like it grows the community a little bit. But I mean, but conversely, if you know I have a good relationship with a, a retailer, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll learn a lot from them. You know, I, you're my eyes yeah. out there. And so, if, you know, like you said, if I think something's worth looking into, then I would. Yeah, that's but that, I mean, they just think that's so, a that's wise. You know, that's a good that's a good way to be there. Steph, are you back? I feel like we lost you for a second. No, no, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I'm here. No, I think that's true. You know, I mean, I tend to, you know, try to keep a good relationship with the the cheesemakers that we work with so that we're current on the information that they have. And when there's new product available, you know, I send up, send out little notes to our, all of our sales staff saying, hey, this product exists. You know, this is new from so-and-so. Let's give it a try, you know, and, um, you know, just so they're current on on what all of our producers are making. I have an interesting question for you. Um, because of the, the regulatory issues or just because of, I don't know, the, the natural ebb and flow of business, do you find that in your, in your standard EU countries, France, Spain, uh, maybe Switzerland, uh, Germany, well, not Germany, but maybe, maybe just stick with, uh, with France and Italy and, um, and maybe Switzerland, those type of like wheelhouse cheese-producing nations that you purchase from forever, maybe even Holland, are you finding that you're getting a lot of new small producers out of any of those countries, or do you have to go outside that box to find other uh, new products? I mean, tradi- I, honestly, I feel like we go outside the box quite a bit. I mean, we, you know, we'll get some cheeses that are you know, particular, like um, producers we've been working with a long time that will have some new items, but a lot of times when you'll go to a show, you might see some of the same old things. So you really do need to get outside that box, and you know that's why I go to the European food shows and cheese and bra, um, you know, Salone del Gusto, the Salon du Fromage, uh, you know, really trying to go out there and see yeah. in the marketplace. I go visit the retail shops in Europe. You know, I think that's an excellent source of finding new products. Um, just seeing what's out there in the you know cheese shops, you know, around the world, what people have. Um, and to see what the possibilities are. You got to go closer to the source. Just keep going uh, inching we're, closer. We're also very lucky because in each of those countries, with maybe the exception of France, 
we have people who select product, not just producers, so that if there is an idea we have about a cheese, we can email them. And, you know, and we're pretty certain we're working with some of the best cheese people out there. And, you know, we can have a discussion about what we're looking for, what's available, who the, who the small producers are, because they'll know much better than we will. I feel like those people have an amazing job. Like the foraging of for food is like like when they're just, those people who are out there looking for stuff for you, like that's for someone like me, like they could just strap some sort of um, small communication device to me and give me a few train <laughs> tickets and I will just go travel from place to place to sort of drink my way from town to town and just find a cheese. I, I'll hit every retail shop, every bar, every restaurant for you to look over new stuff. I feel like that's a great job to have. And um, you guys have people like that that are out there looking for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's kind of partnerships where, you know, we're partners with the vendors that we work with and they you know, kind of know the products that get us excited and make us tick and, and um, you know, know when there's new things that are out there. And I, you know, kind of put it forth, this is what I'm looking for and, and anything you've got in this, you know, style of product, um, you know, to bring it bring it to me. And, you know, I think when you work with a distributor, you know, you know you've got a good one if they're kind of always keeping you on your toes with new product and um, continuing to source new things. Absolutely. You know, that's what you want. Um you know, and that's how you kind of gain confidence and trust um, that the things that you suggest are, are great items. And that's something where, you know, when you have a good good taste in the product, you know, that, that, you know, they'll take anything that's recommended by, you know, by this person, you know, because they really know their stuff. And, and um, you know, you only yeah. get that through experience. I have emailed pictures to... Um, you know, <laughs> to European people, and said, "Hey, this looks great. Can you what get it, or pictures? something like that?" <laughs> like <laughs> cheese pictures, like you that uh, you found pictures of other uh, retail counters. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. At school, you go through any. I'll do that too. I'll go through any means necessary. Uh, I've had people, and I found some of my best cheeses by people. I remember working with you um, in the '90s, and and people when I was working at Dean and Deluca, people would just bring me goat cheese labels, and I'd be like, "Shelly, uh, I got this label. It says something," and I'd spit out some horrible French, or I would just spell the word because I couldn't pronounce it at all. And um, I feel like you go through any channel to find the good stuff that you want. Um, which I love. Do you ever think that um, the U.S. will that will ever be able to be an export? Like our small producers will ever export to Europe? Ever will you ever be sending cheese overseas? I mean, we do do that already. I know Rogue Creamery exports to to Europe, both to England and France. Um, on some level, I actually saw some of their cheese in Paris when oh, I was that's there amazing. in October. Where are they selling in Paris? Um, they were. It was at. Was it? Um, it was uh, Marjorie Cantel. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's yeah. that's great. Um, yeah. Do you, do you do you ever speak? Did you speak to them um, to the shop owners about the reception of that cheese amongst the 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 customers of their store? Um, I didn't ask them. I know you know it seems like it's improved greatly in the last say five years. You know, I know before when I've talked to European. Um, suppliers about having bringing American cheese, and I helped I helped bring product to Bra before, and it also helped getting product to London um, to a couple stores there. 
um, that initially the reception was pretty rocky um, at best. You know, there was a little bit of interest, but but not too much. But at this point, the um, cheese community seems to be getting a little bit tighter. Um, you know, it just seems like such a, um, you know, more You mean the, the international uh, community of, of, of cheese people? Absolutely, yeah. That people are really open and talking to each other, and we've got Americans participating as judges in the cheese contests overseas and vice versa. And, um, you know, because of that sharing of information, they seem to be a lot more open to American cheeses. Well, we've got good dairy here, you know. We've got to get Absolutely. that over there. Um, I wanted to ask you guys one final question, and that was um, what do you foresee um, – and maybe, Shell, you can, you can take this one initially. Um, what do you foresee as the biggest challenge to you as a distributor going forward in, um, in, in this day and age? Ooh, that's a really hard question, Greg. But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's always just finding something that's worthy, something that's well-made, that people will like, that has value, and, um, you know, able to, as a distributor, to handle it well and to get it out there in a significant way. So it's the quality. You, you know, feel like you, you got to stay yeah, ahead of the I mean, stay ahead on the quality is your biggest uh, is your biggest challenge, not laws or logistics. Um, yeah, just keeping it interesting. That's spoken like I mean, a true lover American of the product. Cheeses, uh, the, every year it just blows me away the quality and how great they are. But I also um, like people to be open to other. You know, I don't want there to be kind of a cheese xenophobia. I want people to be open to cheeses from all over the place, too. Because, you know, we learn that way. Yeah, we do. And what about you, Steph? What's your biggest obstacle? Um, I mean, I guess because I work with the the FDA side of it more often, and I've seen that, you know, over the years, you know, dealing with the changes that came around with um, September 11th, you know, with all the registrations of the you know, the soft ripen facilities and, you know, the more stringent rules. You know, I think that, you know, as mongers and also distributors and importers that we have to keep challenging ourselves, you know, that when you hit, you know, more hurdles, of course, you know, you're going to work within the regulation, but you need to be more creative and more, um, you know, diligent and and vigilant about um, finding new products and, and, you know, keeping things interesting as one as one thing might disappear. You know, you got to get your butt up and uh, you know go out there and find some new great product. Absolutely, ingenuity and innovation are always key to moving forward in business. And I hopefully, feel. we can work with the regulators in a meaningful Absolutely. way. And you know, well, they ain't going away. Another. I'll tell you that much. They aren't. They are going anywhere. But I have a feeling like we're all going to get through it okay. I don't know why I say that because I'm usually a pessimist. But I think we'll all find a way to move forward and and get it all done. Well, I want to thank you gals for coming on so much in this busy time. Thank you, Shelley, and thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Greg. And uh, thanks, you all, for listening. Tune in next week to another episode of Cutting the Curd live on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.